Entertainment today on Broadway for Tuesday, December 21st, 2021. I'm Tell Me on the Sunday podcast, Grace Aki. And I'm arts and culture writer, Ashley Steves. Listen, y'all know that I hate to start the show this oh, way. Oh, boy, boy. Here we are. Yeah. Seasons are changing. People are figuring themselves out. People are buying toilet paper again. But due to a spike <laughs> in COVID positive cases. <laughs> People threw away their bidets and they're buying toilet paper again. Listen, as a, as a personal sponsor of Tushy, the bidet, oh, I have to co-sign. I also, hope we get sponsored by Tushy. I do, and I, I have been told to not include potty language before, but I think this doesn't count. Um, mm. Why don't you all own the Squatty Potty? You it's must real. own a Squatty Potty. You it's must true. own a shoebox that you put your feet on. <laughs> I'm just saying. That's it. it. It literally is changing my back. So, ah. the number of COVID-19 cases in New York has spiked. We all know this. We have social media. It's been a alarming and upsetting and triggering. And so we are not trying to do that to you today. We are just trying to be transparent about what's going on in the theater community. And we're going to keep it as tight as possible because it could be exhausting and drowning. And Ashley and I, for one, do not want to do that. We're very tired. We are hurt and tired and we are ready to go. So let's start with some positives, literally, no pun intended. So The 2020 Pulitzer Prize winner for drama, A Strange Loop, will finally come to Broadway in an odd choice of house, the Lyceum Theater, in spring 2022. No dates have been announced, but Michael R. Jackson's masterpiece that I'm predicting will take every major Tony played off Broadway. You know, like... We did a show. We did a prediction show last week. (laughs) And and I specifically said, there's really nothing coming that I'm like, this is the thing. And Ashley said the same thing. Matt said the same thing. And then I think I said... Yeah, sorry to six, because that was my prediction. Um, Which was a right prediction without this. Am I wrong? Uh, I, I mean, I made the prediction, so I hope it was right. But <laughs> alas, <laughs> alas, here we are with a Pulitzer Prize winner. So it played off Broadway at Playwrights Horizons in 2019. It's currently running at uh, DC's Woolly Mammoth Theater Company, which extended through January 9th. We've known this Mm -hmm. was going to happen. We've known it's coming with this specific cast. So there's been a change. Usher is played by a new actor. Um, This is going to be a big deal. And yeah, like I'm, I'm so excited. People are excited by this DC production as well. It's why they had to extend even in these crazy times. Yeah, this was an impossible ticket when it was off Broadway. Um, yep. I literally didn't see it because I couldn't get Same. a ticket. So but you could hear the uh, album, the cast I, album, and I have many times. I love this show. Um, the fact that Michael R. Jackson is going to be a multi Tony winner soon is absolutely thrilling. So right now, this is just like a spring date to be announced later. I'm assuming mm-hmm. it will be part of the season. We don't really know. Because as we're going to talk about on the show, a lot of shows are closing for at least a week. We may see even longer cancellations. We don't really know because we don't know what the current climate is going to permit. Um, so this could be a part of the season. It could be pushed a little bit later and be the star of the next season. I'm just happy we're getting it. And as you said, like this is something that we've expected for a while. We knew it was coming. We kind of knew, like, as soon as they announced the woolly mammoth run that was a pre- it was a pre-broadway run um on top of the off-broadway run that we already had which was technically a pre-broadway run as well uh yeah like you said we're gonna see a different cast um uh, for reasons i'm thrilled to see whoever's gonna be in it and in whatever incarnation i'm just incredibly thrilled that this piece is coming to broadway there you go 
So in more Broadway news, Thoughts of a Color Man will welcome three new cast members beginning January 4th of next year. So Da Vinci, DeLon Burnside, and Luke James will take their final bow on January 2nd. Uh, fingers crossed, you know, especially yeah. with all the news that we have. So I really hope that they get to have their final bow. Um, succeeding them are actors Kadeem Ali Harris, Reynaldo Pinea, and Christian Thompson. They are hanging tight. You know, this was already planned that these three actors yeah. were going to be leaving the show. So um, I wish them all the best. Most definitely. For some reason, I thought that this was closing at the start of 2022. No, no, no. Me too. You and I both thought that. (laughs) So at some point, did it get extended and we just didn't really think about it that much? Because you saw it. I haven't seen it yet. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm thrilled that I get more time to see it. But this was absolutely one of those shows that was like, oh, this is closing. Not even at the start of 2022. I thought it was like closing weeks ago at this point. And then I was shocked to see that it had an open-ended run. Congratulations to that. Yeah, but I I think you're right and trusting your gut on it. I don't, I do not know how much further they're going to go. So I hope that these are just get an opportunity. Yeah. But again, like, you know, um, we shall see. So um, we're going to take a moment from the show to talk about our sponsor for this week, Upstart. So I just want to pose a question to the room, to Ashley, to my own consciousness. What would you do if you had high interest loans or credit card debt? Um, I would hope that you would not walk straight into the ocean. I would hope that you, you know, would use Upstart. You can pay off your existing debt quickly and easily and start living your best life. I don't have to imagine it. Um, And every day I want to walk into an ocean for a plethora of reasons. But Upstart is keeping me from doing that, whether it's paying off credit cards, consolidating high interest or funding personal expenses. Over a million people, that's a million, have used Upstart to get one fixed monthly payment with a clear payoff date. And rather than looking at your credit score alone, we hate it. Upstart considers other factors like your income, your current employment, and your credit history, and they find a smarter rate for your loan. You can check your rate without impacting your credit score, which is a bogus number anyways, in minutes. So for loans between $1,000 to $50,000, you can even receive funds as fast as one. Count them one one whole number, one business day after accepting your loan. So find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com slash Broadway. That's upstart, U-P-S-T-A-R-T dot com slash Broadway. Don't forget to use our URL to let them know we sent you. Loan amounts will be determined based on your credit income and certain other information provided in your loan application. That's U-P-S-T-A-R-T dot com slash Broadway. All right, roll your sleeves up. We're getting into the They're bad rolled. shit. So. I'm wearing They're... a cut-off <laughs> muscle shirt, so we're ready to go. Oh, okay. Don't Corkle forget, shirt. I'm queer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Tell me without telling me. Look at my sleeves. <laughs> I love it. Ashley Sleeves. Oh, I'm saying it now. Oh, hello. Oh, hi. Drinking. Okay, so Jagged Little Pill. <laughs> we're going to go into this. Oh, we've culture, got news, yeah. Uh, Jagged Little Pill on Broadway stopped performing this past Saturday, citing a limited number of positive COVID test results. And tonight, as we record, the producers said that they will not reopen at all on Broadway. They aren't taking a hiatus. They're not taking a few days off. They are simply not going to reopen. Yeah. Um. I, <laughs> I've i had a lot of things to say about Jagged Little Pill in the past yeah. and will continue to have those to say in the future. This is uh, sh- shocking, I guess, um, in a way that uh, we're repeating kind of what happened already 
we are starting to see show closings as because of uh, the pandemic, which continues to happen, is now amplifying. I guess is the right word at the time. Um, it's. I think that producers are hanging their hat on COVID right now, and I, I don't. So. I don't believe that this is a hundred percent the reason why they're closing. Oh, this I don't think so either. Don't get me wrong. They're like, I, oh, it's COVID, and I'm like, it's also ticket sales. Also, your ticket sales and buds aren't. And yeah, it's controversy. The, honestly, I feel unfortunately that a lot of people don't care about that. Um, but that is the thing and it goes hand in hand you're right people aren't buying tickets to see it and there aren't butts and seats but there's also a reason why people aren't buying tickets and there aren't butts and seats and that continues to be the pandemic and people not feeling safe to go to the theater um yeah it is disappointing to see in the general sense of any show closing right now and this is you know it's not necessarily the like omicron isn't the only reason that they're shutting down obviously though they were citing that to be the case but it is certainly a catalyst at this point Baby bomb. Uh, according to the New York Times, Hamilton, Town, and Aladdin canceled all performances until after Christmas. That is, a third of the shows on Broadway were dark this past weekend due to cast and crew outbreaks of COVID-19. So Hamilton has been dark since December 15th and won't be back until the 27th. Six on Broadway is also dark tonight. Most shows are now utilizing their social media infographics for transparency to let people know yeah. if they're good to go. Even when they're not closed, they're like, hey, we're on tonight and diana was doing the same thing last week harry potter as we were recording just put on their instagram due to breakthrough covid19 cases and out of an abundance of caution performances of harry potter and the cursed child from tuesday december 21st through monday december 27th have been canceled um they're expected to resume the 28th but um again uh, you know who who who, who knows and more as well because we had dear evan hansen they announced a yeah. week of performance so they're done until december 27th and then ain't too proud i think also so yeah. announced some extended cancellations. I can't remember what the dates were for that, though. Yeah, again, a third of the shows. That is a chunk. Yeah. Uh, Into Proud is also December 26th. So, yeah, I, we're like you said, we just got Harry Potter, like, right as we started recording. We've got several more that haven't announced anything, but we're in a week that kind of permits that, where people, or, or, you know, where shows can take off because it's the holiday season. This is also the worst time that they want to take off because they expect tourists to come. But at this point, like, as... Like, you know, as I said last week, I guess, uh, tourists aren't coming in the numbers that Broadway wants tourists to come to New York at the moment, and they're certainly not buying tickets. So I think we are dangerously close to some kind of extended announcement. I don't know how long that's going to be. But yeah, we I, know there's an equity meeting taking place right now. We know so there's an I'm, equity meeting, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I know we've got more cancellations, too. So, speaking of, Manhattan Theater Club announced that Dominique Morisot's Skeleton Crew, which would have started today, December 21st, will now resume opening previews December 27th, just like, you know, the magical date that all these other shows are coming back, um, due to company members having tested positive uh, for the virus, which, you know, that's not a horrible change for a lot of these actors, um, mm -hmm. but it, it just, it starts to, it, we're in a snowball effect, right? 
So off-Broadway, Trevor has canceled the remainder of their run due to positive cases in their company. The production had initially set a closing date of January 2nd of next year, and now they've just, they've already played their last show. They've, you know, which breaks my heart. You know, a lot of these young people that are in these productions don't realize they've had their last show. And Mm -hmm. that is, I'm sure, incredibly painful. Yeah, that's the... And triggering for last year. A lot of these people that got to come back to shows are so grateful and thankful, but also like... Uh, it's very difficult. I mean, uh, as far as Trevor goes, they initially announced uh, that they were going to take a little bit of a break. Um, and now it's they're just done, which, like you mm-hmm. said, is very triggering. It's very heartbreaking. You have a, a young actor, a young cast in this show. And now it's just kind of like, well, when's the next time, especially for young actors, just like, when's the next time I'm going to get to perform on a stage of this level? <sighs> Unclear. Uh, but oof, let's go into some newer things. Better new developments. News. Better we? news. New things. All right. This is how we're ending this portion of the show. So Long Wharf uh, Theater in New Haven, Connecticut has commissioned a sequel to West Side Story called Maria. The show will focus on what happens to the female protagonist after the curtain comes down in the original show. Husband and wife duo Stephen Sapp and Mildred Ruiz Sapp are writing the musical. I, I happen to think it's funny that anytime we do a sequel that's all based on one person. Yeah. It's always their first name. <laughs> right? The titular <laughs> like, character. The titular. Like, like Scarlet was the companion yeah. piece to Gone with the Wind. Maria is what a science story. I was like, um, hmm, what's this going to be about? Thing. Yeah. I, I, I DK, but I hope she goes to therapy. I, I was going to say, what's happening to Maria since the end of West Side Story? A lot of trauma. This is going to be a fun home. Mm. Oh, Maria. Come to I need the you to be gay. Um, let's get into another new development. So a musical inspired by singer, songwriter, and activist Nina Simone is called Little Girl Blue. It will play at New World Stages on February 19th. The show is written and starring Leona Michelle. I am very eager to see this. I actually really am fascinated by Nina Simone's Same. story. And yeah. any person that's choosing to write and perform this, I, I know some people are like, eh, it's a little self aggrandizing but it's also no, kind of like... I love that. Honestly, like <laughs> that's what it is to me. Like we've had the, that conversation a lot in regards to as big as possible Hamilton. Like I did all the work on this group project. I love that. I because you're right. It proves to me that you really care about the material. You really care about the subject matter, and you are really putting it all in there. Um, I'm really excited to see this eventually. Yeah, same. So to finish the show, we have a whole oh. ass on Imathon. <laughs> And we talked a lot. We've already no recorded this. We've already recorded it. There's really no reason for us to even get into it without saying we talk about Assassins at Classic Stage Company, mm-hmm. West Side Story, the Steven Spielberg film, Happy Birthday, Steven. Mm-hmm. And uh, finally, the company revival directed by Marianne Elliott. So yeah. um, stay tuned for all of that because we have takes and we have opinions and we have love. So on that note, enjoy. All right, welcome to our Sondheim Palooza half of today's Today on Broadway. I am joined by Ashley Steves and Grace Aki. Ashley, how are you? You know, it's it's going great. Happy it's, Monday, December 20, 20th right now. So ooh, all brutal. the news is happening. Yeah, and, and none of it is good. Um, uh, gr- uh, Grace, how are you doing? Five days to Christmas, five days to Christmas. That's I'm something. Good. 
It is <laughs> definitely something. So what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about three different Sondheim-related properties that the three of us or some configuration of us have all seen in the past month or so. We're going to break them down first by talking about the new West Side Story movie. Ashley has not yet seen that for a number of reasons, mm-hmm. um, but will eventually. So Grace sure. and I will just talk about that. But then all three of us have seen both the Broadway revival of Company and the off-Broadway revival of Assassins. So we will talk about all three of these things in this part of the Today on Broadway episode. So, Ashley, we're going to bid you farewell for this section, but you will be back to talk company and assassins. It's true. I will not be able to shut up about it. So enjoy the break for now. Yeah, because it's going to be a (laughs) long time with the rest of these. But yes. So um, as you all most certainly know, this new West Side Story was directed by Steven Spielberg, and he was working from a new screenplay written by Tony Kushner. The choreography was done by Justin Peck and the cast was a veritable who's who of Broadway folks, but it was led by newcomer Rachel Zegler playing Maria, despite the fact that while she is a newcomer to most audiences, she is a very well known person in theater communities. She kind of blew up first on social media and then became everybody's darling um, when she was cast in this. And because of the wait for West Side Story to be released, she has gone on to book a number of other high profile films, including a superhero movie where I think she's playing a villain. So uh, that is very, very fun. Shazam 2, opposite uh, Broadway favorite Zachary Levi, of course. Um, We also have Ansel Elgort as Tony, and that's about enough about him. We also have uh, Ariana DeVose as Anita, Tony winner David Alvarez as Bernardo, Tony nominee as Mike Feist, uh, or Mike Feist as Riff, the legendary Rita Moreno as Valentina, a new role which we will get into, Uh, the great Brian Darcy James, who lost a Tony Award to David Alvarez and his Billy Elliott cohorts um, as Officer Krupke. Corey Stoll as Lieutenant Shrank. Um, we have a bunch of other folks in there. Andrea Burns shows up. Paloma Garcia Lee shows up. A ton of Broadway dancers um, make up the Jets and the Sharks and the Shark Girls and the Jet Girls and all that stuff. So it's um, a lot of fun to kind of spot the Broadway folks in there. Um Grace, before we get into the details of this new West Side Story movie, and they are very quick to point out that it is not a remake of the previous West Side Story movie. It is just a different adaptation of the source material. Before we get into it and get into the details of those things, Mm -hmm. I want to know what your big picture thoughts on this film were. I thought that like a lot of Steven Spielberg films, it was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. Um, Just I I was I I think it's really important for us to note the fact that like, yes, it is not a remake of this other film, even though there are a couple of times when they, you know, pay homage to the original film. Mm -hmm. Uh, I thought it was just a beautiful movie musical adaptation that's going to go on, unfortunately, forever. Uh, I don't say unfortunately forever, but I just mean to say that like, Unfortunately, there is some bad juju around it because of the Elgort of it all. But besides that, um, it's really lovely. And I love the just the I loved a lot of it. 
<laughs> yeah, um, there's also some other bad juju around it that, yet again, yeah. this story of that is partially um, about the uh, Puerto Rican and Puerto Rican in New York experience is uh, helmed by all white men. Um, and as it was yeah. it, with the original Broadway production and the film and all of that stuff. So that is something that we have dealt with with a lot of these movie musicals in a very different way in The Heights, which was obviously still helmed by people of color, um, kind of erased a lot of the Afro-Latina people who live in Washington Heights. This is a different situation, but something that I think is part of that same conversation. Um, For my 50,000-foot view, I thought that this was expertly made. I thought most of the performances were fantastic. I actually liked a lot, not all, but a lot of the changes that they made to the the, the storyline, like what we would call for the theater version, the book. Um, I liked a lot of those. But to me, with Steven Spielberg making this uh, something of a, a grittier version of West Side Story, it lost a lot of magic for me. Uh, a lot of the magic happened in the front half of the of the film, and the, the dance at the gym is always one of my favorite, if not my favorite thing in any West Side Story production or film. Um, that was still magical. But as the movie goes on, it I thought there, it suffered from a lot of pacing issues, and it just um, robbed me of a lot of like that musical theater fantasism, which is something that I talked about with Dear Evan Hansen as well, because they tried to make it super realistic. They lost what makes these things special um, uh, to me, and and that's the magic of it. That is the the otherworldliness of it. And I thought the last. 10 minutes of the film were felt very sloppy to me and I was super underwhelmed by the back half and especially the last you know I don't 10% of the movie. So, I think there's a lot to praise and a lot to be excited about, but I felt like they just didn't stick the ending or stick the landing on, on this one, which was um which was disappointing. But let's talk about some of the good stuff first, Grace. Um let's talk about the performances. We have heard a lot of stuff about um some of the supporting performances from folks like Ariana DeBose, um, Rita Moreno, and some of the other people who very well might um, be up for Oscar contention. But let's start with Rachel Zegler, who is still in her own right, especially if you go over to like The Hollywood Reporter or Golden Derby. Like they have her as a legitimate contender for a nomination for an Oscar in the best supporting or the best actress category. What did you think about Rachel Zegler and her big screen film debut? First of all, she's lovely, gorgeous, and, and all the things, right? Um, but I don't think that she would get a, I, I think she would get a supporting actress nomination. Um, oh, really? I think it'd be weird to, to put her in the leading actress uh, nomination just because of how just like man heavy the, the show, uh, the movie is uh, for me. Um, I just didn't feel like she was on screen enough to, the, for that to make sense. However, she's such a starlet. And the thing is, is that like what you said earlier, like we have to remember that like, to the film community, she is absolutely no one, even though they've like come out with like Shazam, like, you know, all these like, oh, she's going to be in this. Like she doesn't have facial or name recognition yet. She's super young. This is like the first big role. And, you know, seeing her name come up with like and introducing Rachel Ziegler, I was like, oh, my God, that's right. Like we've been following her on social media for like a couple of years now. Yeah. And we've been obsessed with her videos, but she's she is absolutely no one to these people. And I thought it was such a beautiful, perfect breakout stardom role for her like she she sings beautifully crispy um the soprano notes were just so clean and it was um i thought it was really fantastic especially like 
just watching her fall in love with Ansel. And I honestly, I thought they had so much chemistry. I thought they were very charming together. Um, I was super impressed with just her dynamic ability to carry herself on screen next to Ariana because Ariana we've known as a star. (laughs) So if you're able to carry the film with these two incredible women, I just think you've done it. And so I'm, I'm excited for the rest of her career based on this. Yeah, she is just 20 years old. And remember, this was filmed two years ago. It was originally supposed to come out a year ago. So she filmed this when she was 18. She has since gone on, as you said, she is going to be um, uh, in the film Shazam! Fury of the Gods. And she's also been announced to be Snow White in Disney's live action remake Mm -hmm. of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. So she is definitely a star on the rise. In this, I thought she was... Good. I thought she was fine. I I did not see the star turn that I thought I would. She certainly has all of the ability and the talent, and vocally she is amazing. I I thought she was fine. Um, To me, that is less about her, I think, though, and more Mm -hmm. about the dynamics of people like Ariana DeBose and David Alvarez, who I thought stole the show in a lot of his scenes. Mike Feist is also fantastic as Riff. Um, But let's talk real quick about Anita and Bernardo with Ariana and David, two Broadway babies who have been known to the theater community for a long time, even though it didn't register to me at first who David was. Like, it wasn't... Yeah, it did not recognize to me until I saw the picture floating around social media of him sitting in front of Brian Darcy James at the Tony Awards before he won the Tony that Brian lost. So um, it it, it just didn't register. So uh, you mentioned from his green hands. It really was ripped from his green hands. And we have to say it it all. Yeah, the Shrek of it all. You know how I feel. Sutton, welcome back to Broadway. But um, yeah, it was super funny to see him in this like adult role. And I just want to reference because I feel like this is where you're getting to with Ariana and him. They their love story, I felt like because of how they were so connected it just made everything much more devastating, which I knew they were getting to. But the fact that that we were so enwrapped in like their love and their story, that was the first time I've ever seen that, whether it's on stage or in a film, like I've seen this a number of times. Um, That was the first time where I was like, yeah, that's her love. Like that's her big love. And um, it was just fantastic. So kudos to them. Yeah, the the depth that they gave that relationship was mm-hmm. was truly spectacular. And I think that's one of the things where Spielberg and, and Kushner really mined into some really interesting stuff that I think was glossed over in both the original film and the original stage production and pretty much everything subsequent is that we don't get a lot of depth on the... Well, I mean, to be honest, really any of the characters, Tony and Maria are like always the least interesting characters to me. Everybody else is more interesting, but that's usually because of their size and scope, Um, but we never get much depth to them. I think we saw so much more about Anita and Bernardo's backstory, um, and that was partially because of the script, but also because of the performances. I thought they were both fantastic, both in terms of the acting, the singing, and the dancing. I think Ariana's, we've talked about her so much between the prom and mm-hmm. the schmiga sh- and Dune um, and all of that stuff. I What's funny about it is, is that I think that she's turning into this huge star, and it's going to propel her career, and she absolutely deserves it. What I think is kind of fascinating about it is, is that like, 
she's not the best singer in the world. Like, she's not like she's if you, a dancer first. She's a dancer first. I remember her from So You Think You Can Dance. Like yeah, before, before, forget. before I saw her in Bring It On the Musical in Atlanta. Like I knew mm-hmm. who she was because she was like a top twenty finalist on So You Think You Can Dance. So the fact that she's turning into like this like go to musical theater star, which she obviously has a wonderful voice, but like when you put her up against a lot of her other co stars, say like uh, you know Adrian Warren or, or Taylor uh, mm-hmm. uh, or Taylor. Um, I was about to say Taylor Trench. Can you believe that? that Those not, were the words that were about to come out of me. Not him. Not him. But um, uh, Taylor Louderman and, and Bring It On and all of those folks and everybody in Hamilton. It's like she's not of that vocal caliber, but I love that she's turning into a star because she's just so damn dynamic. You know what, though? Can I just say something about this? Because I am kind of tired of that, that we have to have. Because I'm not trying to disagree with you. I'm just saying that, like, I just see so often that we're missing so many incredible character actors, incredible dancers, incredible dynamic performers that I don't need you to be able to do a Jessica Vosk voice. I really want a performance. And so I think that she mm-hmm. she should usher in this new wave of performers to be like, hey, remember when you like wanted performance? Well, <laughs> so I'm hoping for that. We've talked about this and this doesn't really yeah. apply to like the Jessica Vosk voices because I don't think she falls into this category by any means. But we've talked about mm-hmm. like the the conservatorization of of theater oh, singers right. and like to where everybody sounds the same everybody looks the same everybody has the exact same range everybody can do the exact same dance moves it's boring and ariana does not fit into that and i absolutely love it so talking about somebody who does not fit any category in fact she breaks every mold that she's ever been put in and that is rita moreno um she plays valentina who essentially is the doc character um from what we know but what's interesting about how they reframed this story she is still a puerto rican immigrant but as it turns out she is the widow of doc in this story she still runs doc's drugstore but she married doc at a young age and she has now been a part of this mostly white uh polish community in new york for decades so they kind of forget the fact that despite her her accent she is puerto rican and i i gotta tell you i did i had a lot of reservations grace about how they were going to try to make this story work i loved the fact that rita moreno was going to be in the film but it just felt like it was stealing um a lot of the conflict in the story to me but having seen how it worked i didn't love everything about her character because she did a lot of like sitting there and like just fawning over ansel elgort's tony but like the way they told that story and kind of made her a part of the community and showed that hey morons you can make this work because you've been doing it your entire lives and kind of like this subtle nod to how stupid all of these rivalries were i I thought it was really beautiful and obviously having you know a legend like rita moreno play the role and navigate that was super impressive and that helped a lot um so what did you think about that change to the story of west side story I'll say a good thing and a bad thing. So I'll start with the good thing. Um, I love the way that, and again, we, I mean, we kind of said a spoiler alert, right? I love the way that she reclaims sexual assault in this version of the Mm -hmm. story. Um, If you are familiar with Rita's uh, life history, she um, did suffer from some sexual assault um, cases just because Hollywood is horrible and not good to women and um, was assaulted by her agent. And when she was filming West Side Story originally, she had a lot of PTSD and that scene was very, very hard. As for Anita. Her. She, of course, played Anita. Anita in the original. Yeah. Right. And so doing this film, the way that it's structured and the way that even like, um, 
Graziella. Yeah, Graziella, played by Paloma Garcia Lee. Yeah. Yeah, she the way that the the women in that scene react to that uh, almost uh, rape is is so incredibly empowering, and I think it's very impactful, and it's very important that it's told in this way. So I really appreciate that. That's one side. The second side is that um, I, I agree with you. It's really strange to me that, but it's also not right because I think that Tony Kushner is such an incredible writer, and obviously, like he's. Amazing. Of course. Right. But it's, it's hard to watch a thing for the second time where I think they had so many more opportunities that they're going to make this a doc's widow, right? That like this Puerto Rican woman is really just aiding these young white men the whole time. Like that's what was mm-hmm. kind of hard for me was that I was just like, there were so many opportunities. And the only time that she actually kind of assists, um, quote, like her people or, you know, the Puerto Ricans of this area is when she's like leading one to get arrested at the very end. So that one, that was kind of hard for me because I was just like, I mean, who wrote this? I'm going to have one guess, you know what I mean? So that, that was just the the two sides of a a good and a bad for, for that character for me. Yeah, it was, it was a, a a little strange. And I, I, that's what I kind of mentioned. Like she just seems to, have this deep affection for Tony that doesn't seem warranted by any means. And, you know, they they tried to add some depth to Tony's character by talking about the fact that he'd just spent a year in prison for nearly beating a rival gang member to death. It didn't die, um, obviously, which is why he gets out after a year. And he's really trying to pull away from the Jets. And that's why um, he, he wants to distance himself to kind of move on from that part of his life. Um, and I get that. And I understand Valentino wanting to be supportive of that and giving him an opportunity, give him a job, giving him a place to stay. But otherwise, he was just such a wet blanket. Like, I just don't. I, I, you talked about the chemistry between uh, Tony and Maria. And what I thought was really interesting is that Maria seemed to be the aggressor, especially early on at the dance at the gym. Like, I, th- I thought that was a really interesting choice. Um, but other than that scene, I was just like, Maria, Chino is a much better fit for you. Basically, anybody's a much better fit for you. This Tony is just so boring. And maybe that's... Yeah, I hate to say it. I I hated that I thought he was so incredibly charming. Like, I hated it in my heart. (laughs) Maybe it's just carrying in all of the knowledge that we have about Ansel Elgort and all the accusations against him IRL. But I just didn't didn't see the connection there. Um, Real quick, I want to talk about uh, a few other real quick things. Um, And and correct me if I get this name wrong, um, but Iris Menace, um, is that how you pronounce their name? Oh, I think you're correct. I think you're correct. Um, I can, yeah, Iris okay. Menace, as so, anybody's. Yeah, as anybody's. And um, they were absolutely phenomenal in this role. And what I thought was so interesting is that, um, I mean, first off, we've known Iris as a theater community for um, a number of years now because mm-hmm. they were in West Side Story, or not, they were in um, uh, Jagged Little Pill, rest in peace to Jagged Little Pill. Um, and as they've kind of uh, uh, come to terms more with their uh, own identity, they've changed their name um, to Iris. And it, it, it's, I thought it was really lovely to see not only them play this role but to have it kind of acknowledged in the the in the film that even though it's never you know exactly said but it did kind of acknowledge the non-binary aspects of the character of anybody's and 
it, it's always kind of been played. It's a tomboy or maybe even it's a gay woman um, or girl, I guess, even. But I, I thought that that was a really interesting choice. And uh, I don't know how historically accurate it would have been for this time period. But I think for the time period that the film is coming out, that, that was really important. And I really appreciated that as well. Same. Um, okay, so let's wrap up this part of our conversation, Grace. Is there anything else that stood out um, to you? The choreography, the um, a certain moment, anything that really resonated with you from this film? I think that uh, cinematically to capture these dance sequences going through New York City made me fall in love with New York City all over again, which I think that, you know, in the Heights also did, but in a very different way. You know, Spielberg just like has that way of telling a story with like uh, industrial things. And so Mm -hmm. um, like that's literally, oh my God, I could go on and on. That's not this podcast. So (laughs) I just want to say that I thought, you know, 10 out of 10, um, I I was very skeptical that he could direct especially this piece um, as a musical movie and he really nailed that part of it unfortunately you know and and let me tell you 100 newsies being involved so in this many was so much fun and also i just want to say that the guzman twins not being utilized as twins anymore good for them getting uh-huh. hired separately jacob and david like their career has always been in tandem and then like you know when one booked hamilton and the other booked fiddler i was like good they're having their own lives and then they were back in this one and i was like okay, they're going to have to do somersaults together again. Nope. They are so separate. And I loved it. Um, I can't tell you how many uh, self tapes I helped put together for some newsies. That's neither here nor there, but um, I I really appreciated the physical movement of a lot of these guys. And um, I want to lastly say there is an incredible article with the cut called West Side Story is not for Puerto Ricans like me that I have put in the show notes because I definitely think that it's worth a read. Um, none of us talking about this right now are Puerto Rican um, Latinx people. So I just think that like the most important feedback I feel like is from uh, people that have been so closely tied to this show that are also feel completely unrepresented. So I just feel like that's something to have on your mind either before or after you watch this film. Otherwise I would recommend it if you love the source material like I do. Yeah. The one thing I want to shout out is the choreography by Tony Award winner Justin Peck. Um, It is not the Jerome Robbins choreography that we all know, although there are moments when Peck is clearly influenced and probably borrows the the Jerome Robbins choreography. Well, you legally can't do West Side Story without using Jerome Robbins' original choreography in, in many elements. Like, there's yes, like it's a contractual stage. thing. Yes, right. on stage. Film is different. Um, but yeah. what was great about it was is to see... It still felt like West Side Story choreography, but it felt more... Uh, in line with Spielberg's gritty um, uh, take on this, it felt dangerous. It felt athletic. It felt less um, ballet. It felt more um, in line with who, especially the men uh, of both the Jets and the Sharks were. It felt more organic to who they were as gang members um, and and violent gang members at that. So I was really kind of impressed that they were able to communicate that part of the story via dance in ways that previous incarnations of this show uh didn't always feel right to me. 
All right, so that is West Side Story. That is still in theaters now as we are talking about this. It did not have a great run in its opening weekend at the box office, but it has been nominated for slews upon slews of awards um, and named to best of lists. So this is certainly one that will probably have a fairly decent opportunity to continue to run because of award season. So if this is something that interests you and you feel like you are safe enough in your community to go out to a movie theater, um, I think we would both recommend this to despite some uh, reservations on both of our halves. The Jets are gonna have their day tonight. The Jets are gonna have their way tonight. The Puerto Ricans grumble, fair fight. But when they start a rumble, we'll rumble them right. We're gonna hand them a surprise tonight We're gonna cut them down to size tonight We said okay, no rumpus, no trees But just in case they jump us, we're ready to mix Tonight We're gonna rock it tonight We're gonna jazz it up and have us a ball They're gonna get it tonight The more they turn it on, the harder they'll fall Um, all right, so Ashley, we're going to bring you back Hi. into this conversation. Hi, um, do we want to start downtown or midtown first? Ooh, let's go downtown first. Let's go downtown, so let's go downtown yeah. first. I respect <laughs> that decision. Downtown. No, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, um, <laughs> we okay. all nailed it. Beautiful yeah. harmonies, everybody. Yes. Beautiful gowns. Ha- Beautiful gowns. <laughs> harmonies and completely uh, timed together too, because yeah. that worked perfectly. So, so we have talked about the Classic Sage Company's production of Assassins before. So you kind of mm-hmm. have heard some of our, our thoughts. Uh, Grace and I have talked about it. Actually, I know you've talked about it as well. But just as a refresher, it was um, uh, directed by John Doyle, who is currently, for now, um, still the artistic director of the Classic Stage Company, and it has a who's who cast. I'm going to do these alphabetically, and I'm going to not mention everybody because that would be a longer list but we've got adam chandler barat eddie cooper tavi gevinson andy grotta lucian uh judy kuhn stephen pasquale ethan slater will swinson Wes taylor brandon uranowitz and more um it is truly a murderer's row pun completely intended uh, of thank you of musical theater stars um grace and i sat in the very front row so close that when Ethan Slater bowed right in front of us, he did not see his good friend, Grace Aki. Um, <laughs> yeah. That was so embarrassing. <laughs> well, I literally just kept looking at him, waiting for him to recognize yeah. you because he was three feet he in front of you. Yeah. He was. We texted afterwards and I'm like, you were so locked in and I hate you now. Uh, but no, I mean, <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about his performance. Obviously. Yes. Um, Ashley, real quick, because I think this is important. Sure. Where did you, we were sitting, I guess, as you're looking at the three-quarter thrust stage on the stage left house right side in the middle of the thrust, where were you sitting? Yeah, so the left of the projection um, for me, so left side of the stage, uh, and then maybe four rows back. 
Uh, definitely not the ba- the second to last row. So, how, so I can't you, remember. I can't remember how many rows there are in. Well, yeah, but side. were you on the side, uh, left side, or side. like in the back? Side. Okay, so you yeah. were on the side as well. And one of the yep. th- reasons I want to mention that is because I I noticed it. Um, it didn't bother me as much because I know the score inside and out. But I've heard a lot mm-hmm. of people complain about the sound balance and and yes. that hurting some of their you know appreciation of what they saw because Very they right. didn't know it as well. So I want to mention that. The that is an issue that I think comes up for some people. Again, I know this score like the back of my hand, mm-hmm, um, yeah. so it didn't bother me at all. But Likewise. let's kind of talk about these performances. Um, it is led by Stephen Pasquale as Booth. We also also have Eddie Cooper um, as the proprietor. Interestingly enough, in the course of five days, I saw Eddie in this. I saw his uh, his sister Lily in the sound of, or the uh, Spring Awakening concert, and I saw their dad Chuck in Trouble Gotta in catch Mind. Them all. Got all Holy three of shit. them. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. And- You've been I, cooped. I've been cooped. It's the coop of it all. <laughs> uh, but we also we also have uh, the aforementioned Ethan Slater as the balladeer. Spoiler alert slash John, um, uh, Lee Harvey Oswald. There you go. So I, as somebody who like I grew, I, I got the first off Broadway album and fell in love with Victor Garber from there. Terrence Mann, mm-hmm. um, all of those folks in that original cast, and. I saw the Broadway version back in 2004 um, at Studio 54, I believe. And Mm -hmm. for me, I think that Ethan Slater is the best balladeer. You are correct, sir. Um, Yeah, having seen seen zero of them, I have to say he is the best. And I agree with Ashley on most things. Yeah, like (laughs) he's just so interesting to watch Um, and no offense to Neil Patrick Harris but there is just so much going on in Ethan Slater's performance that is not on the page as great as the stuff on the page especially because Sondheim because he doesn't have a ton of dialogue until the end but John Weidman's stuff is obviously fantastic as well but Mm -hmm. he just does so much with such seemingly little effort it's not big grand gestures he doesn't go over the top Mm -hmm. like some of the people in this cast did Will Swenson looking at you but it worked It worked. I liked it, but he was oh, just so confined. Likewise. He's so confined and so kind of introspective, but so captivating. And Ashley, you seem to agree. And we'll, we'll get to Grace, but they're friends, so we'll hold off on her <laughs> yeah. opinion. There's some uh, bias here. Yeah. But as the Sondheim aficionado that you are, what was it about Ethan's performance that really resonated with you? So Ethan Slater is pretty much the balladeer of my dreams. And when they announced that casting, that was very much a, I can't believe I hadn't thought of that before. I was just really, you said like a lot of the things weren't on the page. um, And a lot of it was just like the little things in his performance. I was just delighted and moved by him every step of the way. I think the best balladeer and assassins should always have like that vague sense of both naive story yeah Yeah, but like naive storyteller optimism balanced with the flip side of that which is like this smirking storyteller i know a secret deviancy Mm, um yeah so you know you have that flip at the end and you're now in the book depository and he's now lee harvey oswald it's shocking both in the way that you're about to witness a tremendously familiar event in history and then also shocking because you get that feeling in your gut because of course this is the way it turned um i really love that direction for him and the scene as lee and that transition from another national anthem into that like, removal of his suit that was really successful to me i think i you know every time he was prominently on stage and kind of just like making his rounds around 
the corners and everything. I was just completely transfixed by him, especially when he had like that smirk on his face. Again, it was that it was very much a I know what's coming and you should know what's coming. But I feel like I'm going to surprise you anyway. Yeah. And and he most certainly does. Um, Grace, again, bias notwithstanding. What did you think of Ethan's performance? Well, here's what I'll say, because obviously I'm going to be like, praise, 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 praise. But um, what what you guys might not know about Ethan is that, like, he is a really big Buster Keaton historian. He has a mm. really old school knowledge of, like, film and especially comedians and people that always have, like, a twinkle in their eye. There's a reason he played Joel Grey in um, Fosse Verdon, even though it was for, like, 10 seconds. He has this ability, and I think that a lot of people haven't seen from him that I hope now people are going to be like, oh, cool, I'm on board, because I think everybody just puts him in the SpongeBob box. Yes, sure. I said that. Um, and hey. I'm like, this person... Person has been incredibly a SpongeBob, but I think he's an incredibly dynamic actor. And oops, I will plug it. If you listen to Tell Me on a Sunday, you will hear some of those (laughs) stories uh, with him. But again, like I thought, his performance was exactly what Ashley just said. Um, Really uh, spoke to me, like storytelling from beginning to end. And he was that perfect through line that I was excited about every time he was on stage. Yeah, and it, there's a ton of people in here. I co-sign everything you said, but I want to get to some of these other folks. Um, I mentioned Stephen Pasquale as Booth. Booth is my favorite character in this show. That's the Victor Garber role that I grew up being like, that. I want to play that. For, I want to yeah. sing that song. It's so good. Um, I am generally not a Stephen Pasquale fan. Maybe that's because I'm Team Benanti, but he <laughs> his voice is... Ob- it's one of those voices where I'm like, oh yeah, that's obviously a beautiful voice, but it does nothing for me like emotionally, like it does for so many other people, especially bridges fans. But as booth, I was like, Oh shit. Like that's, that's, that's the stuff. Um, I, so I was very impressed with him as booth, especially because I know he did this role at the encores concert and a lot of people were underwhelmed by him there. Um, but in this production, I was certainly impressed by his turn as, you know, the patriarch of the American assassin. That's really interesting because, yeah, he did reprise his role from the City Center production, which I loved. Um, I would have loved to have seen some more people from that reprise their roles based on what I found were very specific mm. oh, casting no, misses in this production. We'll get to that. Um, but <laughs> I honestly, I loved him in the City Center production and I loved him here. I, it's That's a difficult role, I think, to kind of follow up on based on the originals. Mm. And I, I think he was one Wonderful. And we mentioned Will Swenson too, as over the top as he was. I it was it, I, I honestly I loved it. I thought he was spectacular and anxiety inducing, which is kind of what I want from that role. The only thing I wish he slowed down on to lose some of that manic energy and find a little bit of clarity was that one moment in the gun song where he's pointing yeah. at the audience. Because that to me is like an absolute top three written moment in American theater. Like if you're in the front rows for any production, I just eat that shit up. But I mean, like predominantly, and I know we're going to get to everybody, but like I, I, the casting to me is, I've been waiting so long for this production because as soon as that casting was announced for everybody, especially for Steven, especially for Will, especially uh, for Ethan, I'm like, oh yeah, this is going to be done right. Yeah. And I, I want to echo, I, I called out Will Swenson earlier because of his yeah. over the topness, <laughs> but it was, it worked like I, it was interesting. And I, what I loved about it was that it was a very un Will Swenson performance. Now, of course he, 
like I think he made his Broadway principal debut in like a role he originated in Priscilla Queen of the Desert. So like he can do over the top, but like we know him as like sure. this super sexy brooding guy um, who's married to the most talented woman in the world. And, and then he's like correct, this, correct. he's like this super flamboyant, but possibly queer version of, of uh, Charles Gateau. I thought it was very interesting. Um, and, and uh, I loved that grace who from the other, from the rest of the cast stood out for you as somebody who was really, really nailing the assignment. Uh, Judy Damkun. Oh, um, I would have uh, gone, I would have gone with a little harder word than damn, but yeah, that's totally fine. <laughs> Correct. Judy fucking Kuhn. There we I go. Famously, yeah. Famously was working in a shop and she picked up a t-shirt and I said, sorry, um, I love uh, po- Pocahontas. And, uh, that's, that's how I met Judy Kuhn and she <laughs> nice. promptly left, uh, but she's, she's amazing. And, uh, I was pleasantly surprised by I mean the last time I saw her on stage was fun home and so getting to see her in a more comedic role getting to see her play opposite so many great actors that she I mean she's she's just top tier and I was just like damn now I want to see Judy Kuhn in a comedy like a straight play why comedy. have we not seen her in more comedies like, it's I insane want her, exactly I want her as the mom in barefoot in the park I would like to be her Ooh. daughter in barefoot in the park but I'm just trying to say that like she was just such a standout I kept thinking about it I was just like wow I really haven't seen that version of her and Maybe I've just missed the boat, but I I really couldn't stop thinking about it. And her with the KFC bucket, I want that yeah. frame oh my in God. my home. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna have to paint it. Like I yeah. can't. Oh please, I'll well, buy it. Yeah, I mean, if you look back at especially her Broadway career, she did you know Rags. She was the original Cosette in Les Mis. She was the original Florence in uh, in Chess. She played Amalia in She Loves Me, which is a comedy, but not like this. Um, she then you know played Fontaine in Les Mis. She did Fun Home. She was Goldie, a Goldie replacement uh, uh, in the Last Fiddler revival. Yeah. So like she she doesn't get a chance to do a ton of comedy, but man, she needs to do more. Um, another person that I was um, honestly surprised by in a very good way was Tavi Gavinson. Yeah, I great. I did not expect much from her. Um, she's turned herself in from a and you know a teen and even preteen blogging entrepreneur into a pretty reliable New York theater actress who shows up fairly regularly to somewhat mixed reviews, which I can never really tell if it's because of who she is or what she's doing. But in terms of assassins, I thought or both. Or both. Yeah. Um but I thought she was pretty wonderful um, in uh, in this show as Squeaky Frome. I, I I had literally no complaints about what she did, either acting wise or vocally. Yeah, I enjoyed her a lot. Oh, go ahead. Go. No, 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 go ahead. I was just going to ask: Have y'all ever seen her on stage before? No, no, I have not. Okay. No. Can I tell you guys something? Please. That was the exact same that I have ever seen her on stage. That's uh, seen her unexpected. I have seen her in multiple shows, and I I agree with you. She is so exciting, and she plays that exciting part very well. And that it was the same that I've seen her in every other role. So I think that she does nail that. But I just want to say that, like, I feel like. It, it is kind of one note. Yeah. 
Um, but, but again, like she is fun and exciting and I do yeah. want to see her in more things, but yeah. I definitely get that. Like I really enjoyed her. Like I've said on the podcast many times before, I have a particular soft spot for Aaron Marquis who did it at city center, who I thought was incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's kind of the feel that I got watching her on stage and kind of what I've heard from other people is as great as she was in this role. And then again, it's another very difficult role because especially with unworthy of your love, like, you don't necessarily have to sympathize with her, but you have to not hate her for a second. Um, it's such a beautiful it, song. It's I, I have mixed feelings on that song, but I, I, I know. <laughs> sure. Um, but no, I, I've like I said, I've absolutely gotten that from her. I've just like it's a role that a lot of people, I think, get kind of typecast in um, based on their other performances and their style of performance. And this doesn't seem like that's an exception here. Yeah. Well, you mentioned Unworthy of Your Love, and um, she sings that uh, opposite Adam Chandler Barrett, who I thought was great casting um, I, for John yeah, Hankley. I and was not particularly impressed. No, no yeah. that's what I was to say. Like when they announced it, Same. I thought it was great casting. And when I saw it, I was like, eh, that was disappointing. That could have been a person of color. Yeah. 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 Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. But they really seemed not to want to do anything that was not historic, you know, I'm using air quotes, historically accurate in terms of the casting. Like they cast a bunch of white people because all of these people were white people. And maybe that's a good thing when you're talking about. Well, but, but I also can see the flip side of like, do we want to cast people of color as murderers? Um, So I can get, I can at least understand the thinking there. Uh, But what the bad part is, is that the ensemble didn't have a lot of people of color either. So if you're going to go that route. Uh, So he was disappointing. And I want to get to the, the most disappointing person here in a second but before that we Ooh, need to shout yeah. out brandon uranowitz who is incredible incredible in everything he does and the That's fact that he does not have nine tony awards by now he has like three nominations i think but brandon uranowitz is spectacular yo brandon uranowitz can get it like every time he's on also stage true. i'm like what is it about you also like true. So very pretty man very pretty <laughs> man that's all i want to say so the one name that we didn't really talk about, Andy Gratolution is good as well, but he doesn't have any songs and he's fine it's, as, it's, as Samuel it's fair, Bick. It's a fairly difficult role to screw up because yeah, it's, it's so, so well much written. on the page. And Eddie Cooper is Eddie Cooper. Uh, I've seen some bad proprietors, so oh, I'm good. easy to uh, very easy to please there. But, you know, he's good. And the ensemble is great. No yeah. notes there. So I know who we're talking about yes, as the remaining the, person. And we all agree. Yeah. The the person we're talking about is Wesley Taylor playing Giuseppe Zangara. And as I'm looking through the notes from the Encore production, uh, Grace, your good friend, Alex Brightman, played Giuseppe Zangara in the City Center and production. He was awesome. God, I wish I could have seen it. Oh. I know. Because um, I'd, I'll let you two tell me what you thought about the Wesley Taylor performance, but it was a miss in every possible way yeah. for me. So I told, so I'm going to start, Grace. Um, I told Grace immediately after because we had this conversation as far as Alex Brightman. And going into this, uh, Alex Brightman was so good in the City Center production that I have Alex Brightman in my head in this role forever. Mm-hmm. So unfair to Wesley Taylor, but I found him so flat in every way which is really disappointing as honestly is maybe one of my top three assassin songs with how i saved roosevelt i love it uh i've played the the piece that it samples el capitan a billion times in my life so exactly the direction of that scene in general was really off to me but i think like 
that was one of the big, and you know, that was one of the bigger failures of the three-sided audience. And one of the cases totally. where I felt like I was missing the action by not being head on and actually being on the sides. But, you know, I saw first preview and that was definitely <laughs> the most confused. I saw the audience is when that song ended, people weren't sure whether they should be clapping immediately. Cause he gets didn't. electrocuted, right? Or is he hanged? He, he gets electrocuted, yeah. um, but just even the way he plays that, yeah. which just felt so disingenuous. Like I, it, it was bizarre to me because I I went in honestly expecting him to be do a good job with that role. Yeah, it's a very small role compared to the others in the show, I would say, and it's it. It, it lends itself to being a little dramatic because he's gripping his stomach and whining about it the entire time that he's Ugh. on stage. Like you can be extremely dramatic with that role. And every time, like even that he was just so muted. Grace, what, what were your thoughts? Did they differ much from Ashley's? No, that's fine. Moving on. Okay. Um, so, <laughs> <Nothing to> <laughs> so well, let's wrap up the conversation on assassins. Yeah, I think there is some issues with the three quarter thrust um, of it all. The only other show I've seen at Classic Stage mm-hmm. Company was the Carmen Jones starring um, an, a Nico Noni Rose, oh, which I thought was one of the best things I've ever seen in mm. New York. But what I thought about that, that was an in the round production and it played to the in the roundness of that space um, where this felt like it was not well done because the thrust came so far out. It was like a it was like a catwalk almost. So like it was it was, you know, the joke in uh, the producers, Ashley, which I'm sure you can correct me if I if I do this uh, wrong. You know, it's like circle in the square or a theater in the square because (laughs) theater in the round. Nobody had a good seat. uh, Yeah. Theater in the square because no one had. Yeah. And that's kind of what I felt like, Um, like if someone was right in front of you, of course, um, that's a good thing. But if they were anywhere else, they had their backs turned to you. You couldn't yep. hear. And it just I I had issues with that because my previous experience at CSC was such a good staging. For sure. Uh, I had a lot of problems with the staging in that manner. Uh, I just like I said earlier, I felt like and as you just said, like I felt my like everyone's backs were turned to me. I felt like I was missing the action. Um, and even in the case of like some of those sound issues that you mentioned in the beginning, I didn't necessarily have a problem with them, but the fact that they were, they were, they were there. uh, And the fact that I was, that was happening and I was simultaneously missing the action. I just felt muddy in a lot of spots. And I, uh, some of that I attributed it to being first preview and them still working out some things, but overall, like that is a decision as far as staging and direction. I'm not on principle, a John Doyle fan. I, (laughs) I think the instrument thing always works to me in theory, like for company great because it allowed like for this very personified vulnerability change where like Bobby is only playing the kazoo and then he gets a whole ass piano by the end. But other, things are they're they're messy to me um i enjoyed it here like i said line of sight problems mainly i love the orchestrations of this production i thought they were wonderful i've been so ready for this every time you know since they released the cut together video during the shutdown i also didn't love the projections a hundred percent of the time Hmm. i i i like them in theory i think sometimes 
they felt like they were cut off too soon. I felt like they could have done more with them. I'm still kind of conflicted about the ending, which I don't know how y'all feel about that final projection there. And I have a very specific ending of Assassins. Don't like it. I love. Okay, good. I have a very specific ending of Assassins I love, which is what City Center did. And actually, it's where a kid is being given a gun and then he shoots it and is like shocked by it. And it's shocking as hell. It is entirely the wrong time for that ending, but I love it. The current ending, it got the reaction it wanted. It's probably the right ending for the moment, Is maybe. It, I still uh, hated it. Felt, it. it felt... It so basically, felt spoiler kitschy. alert, it, yeah. it's, it, they basically show a video of the January 6th insurrection. It felt like the... And the, like, two black people in the cast are the ones looking up at the projection. Yeah, it, it felt like that Trump, um, Julius Caesar, Shakespeare in the Park. It's like, really... We aren't dumb. Like, we're theater people. Yeah. We get it. You don't have to beat us over the <laughs> head with out. it. It spelled it, out. It, it was unnecessary. Like, it felt so on the nose. And I like that's unfortunately, I think that's the reaction they wanted. They wanted it to be on the nose. And it's like, all right, you got what you were going for. That's not what this piece that's is about. That's not what I want to see. Exactly. No. No, the thing that I've always loved about Assassins is that it has something very specific to say if you pay attention, if you actually pay attention to the words of the songs and and, uh, in the book as well. um, John and Steve have a perspective and they have something they are saying. Um, It's not but they're not beating you over the head with it. If you just look at it as like little vignettes, you're like. Okay, why are they doing a musical about people who tried to kill presidents or did kill presidents? But if you take a step back, like they are very specifically giving you a message about who those people are and how the country reacts to them. Um, And I feel like John Doyle went the opposite direction, especially with that ending. I think he also went too far into it. Like I was looking over my first edition and there's like a preface uh, by Andre Bishop, who's the AD of Playwrights Horizons. Um, and he Not was talking anymore. about it used to be. No, no, no. Was, yeah, he's at yeah. Lincoln Center now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then um, he wrote about like two members of the audience at the end where one was like, I liked it, but who are you supposed to feel for? And the other responds, us, you're supposed to feel for us. Exactly. Like it is that's assassins at its core is that, yeah, you have all these people who have obviously committed atrocities. And that is the story of us and how America has recovered from it, how Americans have recovered from it. Uh and beating us over the head by including something like that at the end. Like we don't, we can read between the lines. I, yeah. I, I felt, I felt like they were dumbing it down and it's like, unnecessarily. we're at a Sondheim show. I think we can figure it out. You know, I am going to say this as a person who comes from Marjorie Taylor green land, I'm oh, yeah. in support of her. I just mean that like, I I actually because I agree with you guys on like beating you over the head with it like I don't like it when things are dumped down for me famously yeah. that's why I hated something rotten but I felt like that moment reminded me and related me to being like those people are in my backyard they're in my family they feel empowered by guns there's a reason that I actually never touched this musical in the past because I don't like seeing people with guns like mm-hmm. no matter the context because I'm just like I don't like that I don't like that I grew up with like my grandfather had an arsenal like I just don't want to see it and so so the very end, I felt like, yes, totally, like a little much. 
But at the same time, I was like, yeah, guys, this is, these are, this is all the time. And like these people that you think you're so detached from because of history, we aren't. And so that was just kind of my moment of it. But I agree with you on on the rest of it. I was just like, come on. I feel like there's a better way to do it. And unfortunately, I don't have the answer for that. Well, when they hire you to be the next artistic director at Classic Stage Company, you can come up with it. Damn right. Coming for you. Everybody's got the right to be happy. Say enough. It's not as tough as it seems. Don't be scared. You won't prevail. Everybody's free to fail. No one can be put in jail for their dreams. Free country. All right, so let's move um, from downtown and go to Midtown, where the uh, phone rings, door chimes, and in comes company over the Bernard B. Jacobs Theater, which is finally officially open on Broadway. Um, This, of course, is a transfer of the London production, and as it was over in the UK, it is directed by all three of our favorite working director. Um, We'll get to that here in a minute. Uh, Marion (laughs) Grace is starting that conversation because I am curious and fascinated. Mm -hmm. We'll get there. Or we can edit it out. It doesn't matter. Um, so we, it stars Marion Elliott, and it just, like Assassins, is a who's who of Broadway stars. It is led by Katrina Link as a now woman, Bobby, B-O-B-B-I-E. Patty Lapone returns to the role of Joanne that I first saw her in, I guess, in like 2011. Is that when it was? Or 2010? Yep. Um, I think, yeah. Speaking of which, I mean, kind of ironic that the, the previous versions of these shows that I saw both starred Neil Patrick Harris, um, but yeah. also has folks like like uh, Itai Benson, Bobby Conti, Nikki Renee Daniels, Matt Doyle, uh, Chris Fitzgerald, Greg Hildreth, Chris Sieber, Jennifer Samard, um, and many, many other incredibly talented people in this show. Um, I am going to let Ashley start first, but because I know it's going <laughs> to okay. take a long time. Yeah, um, get, get everyone else out of the way first, because I yeah, w- that's will true. not shut up. Yeah, Grace and I can go first, but all I'm going to say is... Um, and I said this to you both after I saw it at the second preview. Katrina Link is a marvelous actress. Like, she mm-hmm. acts the hell out of Bobby. She looks and has the demeanor that's perfect for Bobby, where she has this innate sex appeal that you're like, oh, yeah, that's who Bobby should be. I'm assuming I've, I only saw the the pro tape of Raul's uh, company, but I imagine in person you could feel that as well from him. Um, but she was perfect for this role for me, except for the fact that she didn't always have the notes, and it felt obvious that she didn't have the notes. They weren't horrible, but they weren't what I was expecting. Other than that, this production was perfect for me. Uh, Grace, do you have a nutshell uh, opinion on this one? This is obviously a show that we all three love so much. And I don't know that I've actually ever seen a complete top to bottom cast that I fully subscribe to. So I think that most of the supporting cast... I really enjoyed. I enjoyed seeing comedic musical performances again all together because I haven't actually seen that since the prom. And so Mm. for the most part, I really enjoyed this transfer. But then also I didn't. Yeah, we'll get to that. (laughs) Ashley, the floor is yours. I mean, I I don't know where to start uh, other than my general takeaway, which I have talked about many times on today on Broadway over the course of a thousand months now. 
I saw the first preview and then the second first preview and then another mm-hmm. performance um, pre-shutdown. And I have also uh, had a slime tutorial throughout the shutdown that I have watched. If you, if you know, you know. Yeah, yeah. If you know, you know uh, that I have watched maybe a dozen times. So I have had a lot of time with this show. I think... Of all the various slime tutorials and other pro tapes that I have seen of this show and smaller productions, this is this is to me the way company was supposed to be. And I am not saying that this is a perfect revival. I adore this revival. I am saying that Bobby with an IE, the way that it is now, instead of Bobby with an Y, is the way that this show should have been conceptualized in the first place. I real quick, let me, let me real quick, let me break sure. in. Do you think that would have been it would it have been the same if it had happened in the seven whatever nineteen seventy one? Is that when it first came around? Do you think nineteen seventy one? Yeah. Um, do, you, do you think it would I'm have worked mixed. back then? I'm mixed because I you know on paper it would. As far as society's opinions and expectations of women and relationships in general, absolutely not. This is a show that was, you know, has been on stages since the 70s, early 70s, 1971. And when it was. And then when it was performed, like, obviously that made sense. This is the, you know, having a show about a woman that wasn't, you know, a gypsy of it all really wasn't going to happen. So now fast forward 40 plus years, we are seeing this with society's expectations of women today. We are seeing this with a 35-year-old woman who is concerned about her biological clock Mm -hmm. uh, and seeing how that unfolds, seeing her relationships around her, seeing what she is seeing because a lot of people a lot of people like to take company really literally literally it is a it's all taking place in bobby slash bobby ie's mind in an instance framed as a surreal birthday party the party opens and closes each act in the original production that you have merrily marry me a little at the end of the act one in everything else since the beginning um this current production production does both actually like you have marry me a little and it still ends with the birthday party in the second act but this is also happening in bobby's mind it's a musical of irony it's told i you know quote unquote from sondheim that it's told at dry remove from beginning to end so a lot of the things with katrina unfortunately uh the ways that she fails obviously other than the singing of it all which uh, she she's improved. That's kind of all I can say about her. When I saw her first preview, I was so underwhelmed, um, especially on her being alive. The last time I saw her, it's gotten better. She's she's leaning into it more in the ways that she should be leaning into it. But the ways that she failed in acting ways to me is that uh, more of what we saw with Raul, I think, than anybody else is that dry remove of this is this is a camera like you are seeing somebody who's observing everything and making these dry remarks and 
not so much leaning into it and kind of evaluating it in their own way. I like Katrina's performance a lot here. I'm glad that it is more personable, but I think in as a result of that, she uh, she wasn't fit for the role as best as she could have been. Well, let me ask you this question. Is that a difference between the fact that she is a woman and all of the previous Bobbies, save for um, uh, what's her, Craig? Rosalie Craig in the UK? Is that is that dry remove something that works as well from a, uh, in a woman character? Do you think that uh, I, I I don't know. Like, is that is that difference the way that she's not doing it? Is that perhaps because think- of that? I think it, well, yeah, I, I think a lot of that's a Marion Elliott and also a rewrite thing here. It really depends on how you are not necessarily splitting this down the middle. Cause again, I want to be really careful about the language we choose here for the show that it is not a gender flip. It is a gender swap. And there is a difference between those two things, but a lot of, honestly, I've read a lot from Marion Elliott over the past X amount of time about this production and that gender swap. And we've talked a lot as far as like swapping the girlfriends into boyfriends and uh, how by Bobby could have been that didn't should happen. Should have Bobby gay. Make Bobby truly gay cowardice to, me to not make Bobby gay. <laughs> well, it's true. It, we talked even, about Ashley. We talked about that. It might have been you and me, or it might have been me and James mm-hmm, when they probably. first announced this show. Like that was my assumption that she would at least be by. Yeah. Like that mm-hmm. was my assumption, and then it never went there, and it felt weird and, that it didn't. And more annoyingly so is that it is you know, it's hinted at that she is and another hundred people because she's going on all these dates. I missed it's that. So it's yeah. so brief. That's why she goes on like one date with a woman and then it's gone. And that is the closest hint you get to a bye Bobby when you could have had it the whole time. We've talked about the potential inclusion of Jen Colella that didn't end up happening. Um, but as far as like Marion Elliott, like she's talked about how she's considered making Bobby Bobby. Because especially based on like getting married today, it was she couldn't convince herself of it and didn't find it believable, which is obviously insane. Uh, I don't know if that's a consequence of biphobia or if the actor playing. Yeah, that's pres- weird. Presumably. Yeah. I don't know if it was like the actor that was presumably still Amy in the workshop. I guess the UK workshop was not believable. I hate the reasoning either way. And then Grace and I talked the other day about uh, she had said that she had tried PJ as a woman because PJ would be the, you know, PJ would fit the most but it didn't work because it invited the audience to laugh at the character which i scoffed at the time when we talked about it like you've characterized pj as someone to laugh at if that's the consequence of your actions then keep it as marta's text like it was in the original which is still extra as hell but not as much so like there are a lot of choices as far as gender goes where i still think it could be that dry remove and could still be like this outside looking in and what is a you know what's happening inside your own mind like i think you can approach that any possible way like that's kind of the consequence of like anything is possible (laughs) with this production because it has happened and with the show because it is happening in her own head uh 
I think a lot of the choices that were ultimately made, both as a consequence of not really wanting to go too far into the rewrites and using like a lot of George Firth's old drafts and then Marion Elliott doing some rewrites as well, but mostly keeping everything the way it was and just kind of swapping those genders around. I think it ended up being a, a lack of imagination, I guess. It's a failure of imagination to me of what gender and sexuality looks like and what relationships looks like. And maybe specifically what all that looks like in present day New York. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a really, really good point. Um, all right. So I want to get into the Marion Elliott aspect of this. I firmly believe that some of the things that she did in this show were some of the most brilliant directorial decisions that I've ever seen. Um, I firmly believe that a number of these stagings of the songs, um, including Side by Side by Side um, and... Um, uh, the other ones, I can't, it, it's not coming to me on the top of my head, but, um, oh, maybe TikTok. Um, TikTok it, is great. Yeah. yeah. TikTok and side by side by side, I, I think are some of the most thrilling things I've ever seen on stage. And it, it added so much depth, just literally in staging. Um, Ashley, I feel like I know where you're coming from. Grace, do you want to get into this? Like, if you don't want to, we can cut this out. But like, I was floored by some of these things. I personally just couldn't pinpoint any one thing about the direction that I enjoyed. I'm not saying like didn't. It's just that like, okay, well, I've seen you do boxes. I've seen you do neon. Um, I think, you know, given the the talent on stage, um, you know, you've got comedic actors working at the, the top of their game and like, you know, that's, that's them. Uh, and then just the, the Katrina of it all, which I don't really want to blame her for, like, like, um, Ashley was saying earlier, like, I, I just feel like that was a huge miscast. So I don't, it's like, I don't even feel comfortable, like commenting on you know, that because I'm like, it's just not her fault. Like she's just so fantastic in all the roles that I've seen her in, but this one. So I just don't even want to say that, like her Bobby is bad. It's like, no, you just, you shouldn't be Bobby. And I think she's fantastic, but I can't tell you one thing about Marianne's direction and here that I was like particularly um, excited by, but that's, you know. Yeah. I mean, different strokes for different folks. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think the neon thing is kind of funny because I feel like that's a very, well, it's a very British thing, but it is definitely a Marion Elliott thing too. Like she used it a ton in angels. It's her calling card. Yeah. It's her calling card. And I, it's, and I think every director has one. I mean, we mentioned John Doyle talking about assassins, like the musical instruments are his thing. And that's tired as hell to me. The neon I'm honestly tired by, Mm -hmm. but again, it's a calling card, I guess. But also the boxes, right? I'm not crazy. And also the boxes. It was very angels in America, yeah, for and sure. also curious incident and of the screaming dog incident. in the nighttime. Every time I see a Marianne <laughs> show, everyone's screaming at each other, and I don't understand this dynamic choice. Um, that did not happen in this one, so I was actually pleasantly surprised. Yeah, okay. I'm glad we talked about that. Um, <laughs> let's real quick, because we are running way longer than we said we were going to, oh. which we actually knew was going to happen. Of course um, we did. Beyond Katrina, and and I, we can mention Patty. I don't feel like we need to spend a ton of time on Patty because it's Patty Lapone doing Joanne, which we've seen her do many times, and she is a marvel yeah. every time she does it. Um, but if we want to get back to Patty, we can. But um, Grace, I'll somewhere. start with you because... Ashley. Um, but was there somebody else in this ensemble of people that stood out specifically for you? 
Yeah. So again, I'm going to reference the fact that I saw this about this, they actually, the same week that Ashley did first go around. Um, I saw it in like a kind of like an industry performance preview, something or other. And um, I, I was just like, I, I enjoy Bobby Conti. I've met him only once, but he was such a joy. And like, I just think that he was a surprising like breakout moment. Like if you didn't see Bronx Tale or whatever, like you don't keep up with him. This is, this is a next level, you know, you're, you're surrounded by Jennifer Samard, Chris Fitzgerald, Christopher Sieber, who, you know, I love them anyways, but um, Mm -hmm. between Matt Doyle and Bobby Conti, I was like, yeah, I enjoy them so much. And Greg is always funny. Like he just, he he plays funny characters in a way that you're just like, right depth. Like he's so good. Um, But yeah, I enjoyed Matt Doyle's not getting married today. Like no other. I want that to be the Tony. Yes, please. Because we've seen Patty a number of times. And I honestly think this is what's uh, eh. Um, because Patty's Patty, I actually think it does a disservice to the production that she's back in this role because her star performance of the one song really drags Katrina down like further. So, you know, as, as the leading lady, but and I'm just like, damn, but is, <laughs> but is you saying that you're not going to blame Katrina? Like I can't blame Patty for Katrina's misfalling oh, right. or miscasting in this role. But that's why I say as like a, yeah, a direction absolutely. producing casting, I go, that fucking sucks. Sure. <laughs> I get that. I get that. But, but it's course, also a ticket selling thing. It is a ticket selling thing. I'm never going to argue with putting Patty on a damn show. <laughs> yeah. I, I What's interesting about that, Grace, is that um, I saw the second preview the second time around and I sat with our friend Robbie Rizal and yes, we indeed. and he's good friends with Bobby Conti and Bobby was not good the night that we saw him. Yeah. Um, he wasn't sounded, good first preview either, which was it, weird. Oh, weird. He must have had an electric night because people were almost standing up for him. When well, I saw it. the thing is, it sounded like he, Robbie and I said to each other, uh, yeah, he it sounded like he blew his voice in, uh, on the first preview. Uh, then Ashley told me that he sounded like that the night before. So it sounded yeah. like it was just a could vocal thing. Yeah, it could have just been a vocal thing. But it was a kind of surprising because I've interviewed uh, Bobby Conti on here. I think mm-hmm. he's fantastic. Um, but it was, it was a little surprising that that role, it, it sounded like it was not healthy, um, he was, for him. He was wonderful pre-shutdown. So that is absolutely like that makes sense. when, when I saw him, you know, mm-hmm. second time mm-hmm. around, I was like, this is a, vo- a voice fry thing. Like you, you're a little bit worn out, which is, I, I get it. Cause we're all coming back from a long time off. You know, and I don't mean to like, you know, project anything, but I think he might have some vocal trauma from the pandemic. Mm, um, he sure. lost his friend Nick Cordero. I watched his journey yeah. on social pretty extensively and it, it might have something to do with that. And I, you know, that's, but I don't want to yeah. say that that yeah. might be his life. Yeah. Well, let's real quick, let's hit on the Matt Doyle performance of Not Getting oh, Married God. Today, which is. It's one of those things because it's again, it goes from such an iconic um, song for a woman to now being really the 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 best number in the whole show being performed by a man. Matt Doyle, famously the second guest on Tell Me More. So love that for him. Hello. Yeah. But um, I am a little apprehensive about the fact that like this huge star turn number that is obviously going to get him at least a Tony nomination, if not a win, um, is normally a woman's number. But Mm. that aside, 
the staging of that one too, I thought was incredibly fun, incredibly inventive. And, uh, Matt absolutely nailed it. And what's great about it is, is that again, like with assassins, I know all the words, but if I didn't, I wouldn't have had to because Mm -hmm. it was so, uh, well delivered and enunciated that I heard every single syllable of that song. For sure. I, so this was my favorite staging of the show, this in TikTok. And honestly, I love the, you know, going into, uh, you know, the, the husbands coming down the aisle into the bedroom Mm -hmm. scene as well, too. Like, I love stuff like that. And this cast is so incredible. I think the sporting cast we currently have is just incredible. And I can point out pros of every single person. And anytime like Chris Sieber and Jennifer Samard were on stage together, I was the happiest person I've ever been in my life. Um, The staging of Not Getting Married Today adored it um and to like remark to your point as far as like this being a role that usually goes to a woman like that's one of the things as far as we have this version now and i feel like this is the version that we work from uh i'm not as fascinated (laughs) i'm not as fascinated by the gender swap with this as like this is a whole new take on company and it didn't have it didn't go as far with the gender takes etc etc but like you like you took this piece that has the opportunity to be malleable in these ways because of because of the way it's written because of multiple previous drafts because of other changes previously and other workshops yeah there was real quick let me just jump in there there was a version of this done i think by roundabout which starred alan cumming yes uh, as as a gay bobby Bobby. and sondheim sondheim saw it and said yeah, that doesn't work. We're not going to do that. Yeah. So, so, and correct me if I'm wrong on any of the history of that, actually, because I'm sure you know better than I do. But like, that's a thing that exists at least in terms of on paper. Someone did the work to make Bobby a gay yeah. man. And there have been, you know, other um, incarnations and in other workshops where like. Uh, there was uh, still three girlfriends and a female Bobby. And it's like, Oh, okay, this works out. Um, So I think there are all these different opportunities where it's like, to me, who has always loved company, but not as much as other Sondheim works. It's not that this is reimagined to me. It's that it's more fully imagined. Like it makes, like I said, it makes, like I said, it makes sense for this to have always been a show about a woman who's turning 35 and is weighing all the pros and cons and kind of catching up on her life and seeing what's around her and you know dealing with the quote unquote biological clock to me it's less does this update work and more oh yeah this is how it should have been from the beginning now how do we continue to update it as a living piece Uh, of art how do you swap these roles to different genders to other genders like it's it's written in a way that these changes should be easy and even in this revival, like those changes should be easy. So if someone wanted to replace Matt Doyle, if a woman wanted to replace Matt Doyle, if a non-binary actor wanted to replace Matt Doyle, these should be easy things to do. I w- from a director's perspective, I would love for whomever has the rights to company MTI, I'm sure. Um, yeah, I think so. To say, here's the template. Here's the characters you can go wild on in terms of casting them however you want. Like, I think that would be great. If you want certain characters, if you want Joanne to always be played by a woman, fine, that's fine. But I I would love for them to give uh, directors of whatever level the opportunity to 
play around with how this is cast because i think you're right i don't i think we've seen enough incarnations now that we know that it doesn't hurt the piece and the piece holds up and might actually have more depth than it did originally and that's that's one more thing i want to say is that uh, i've been really conflicted by the criticism of this new york times i'm not counting because it read like thinly veiled misogyny and so someone i trust yeah that was so gross a mess an absolute mess like it disgusted me so someone i trust more than jesse green obviously is helen shaw and even in that Mm -hmm. there was a lot like a, a lot i didn't agree with much i did um Something that stood out to me, though, was in the like post ladies who lunch, the line swap of but who will take care of me from but who will I take care of? And generally, you know, that switches Mm -hmm. um, the switches of that Joanne, Bobby, Larry scene in general. I'm fine with that. I told you I'd get back to Patty. I'm fine with it because I'm fine with Patty's characterization of it, which is not Elaine Stritch's characterization of it, which. Honestly, it wasn't even Patty's characterization of it at the beginning of of previews. When I saw it first preview pre-shutdown, she was a lot more stoic in this scene. Hmm. Um, And then the night... Now she's more drunk. (laughs) Now she's more drunk, but also like the next time I saw it right before the shutdown, she broke. Like not a fully a full breakdown or anything and this is on the line where she's telling bobby um, that she's the kind of woman that men want well let me ask you this question do you mean she broke like she broke like she was laughing like a saturday night live break okay gotcha yeah um she's playing it very practically and without emotion and then like within a week she's now emotional about it and it's something else and she's still that way now but as you said she's also a little bit more drunk playing it as well so there's like that level of emotion to it um it's it's something else and the role as a whole is something else now because it's no longer asking bobby to be something that she can take care of and be what joanne wants but as she's doing something that she thinks she needs to as she's back, like fighting her own battle against time hmm. which is what bobby's doing yeah so like that swap um it's like, yes, she's leaning on her friends for love and emotional support, but not nearly as much as she seems to believe they are leaning on her and are also leaning in on each other. Because, again, this is all in her head. Like, she believes everyone has an unconditional care and support system except her, mm-hmm. which is why the flaws of this show are so much more amplified to me. Because, again, literally anything can happen. But it's also why the things that work so well with all of these changes work so well. Like, you have have this living piece of art that you can go to old George Firth drafts and work off of. You can do some, you know, Marion Elliott's rewrites. You can use the original and all of the, like, as you said, this is such a strong piece of art that any of these versions will work. And it has the opportunity to constantly change as a result. Yeah. Grace, um, we are going to wrap up. Do you, what are your final thoughts on this production of Company? The, the, if you like Sondheim, there is a Sondheim musical on Broadway. And I think that it does do a good deal of service to the original um, source material, as well as it does um, highlight a new. And oh, I want to oh, actually mm, I have hey. a question for the room. Okay. Do you think that because there is already a Rosalie Craig um, album slash production in the UK, do you think that this is basically the same production, same direction, same kind of staging? But do you think it's the same production? I would say no, but I'm curious. No. I, I mean, I haven't seen the other one to know. Like, I haven't, I haven't got a slime tutorial on the on the but London version. Listened? 
Yes. Oh, yeah. I've, I listened to the album a, a ton. I mean, I, but I don't know if that can change my impression of the production because I feel like to make a determination on the production, I need to see the whole thing other than just the score. Um, so for it's me. Also- for yeah, me, sorry. I would say, yes, it's the same production because it's the same director. It looks the same. The staging is mostly the same from what I understand. Um, it's, it might be a different take on the production, but to me, it's a transfer of the West End production. Oh, yeah. That's that's when I that's what I take away from it. It is a different take. Like there are very there are definitely changes from the London version. I've been reading over the of course. Yeah, copy yeah. of it. Um, and so there are lines dropped. There are lines that have been re-added. It, it's not a significant amount, but it is, it's still a transfer from that. A lot of it's going to like, if I would assume when we get our cast recording of the original of this Broadway production, oh, you think like, that'll happen? Uh, yeah. yeah will. Absolutely. <laughs> um, no- let me tell you guys. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, there is absolutely no doubt in my brain. I was going to say it's a matter of how it's going to be produced that is going to be a different version of what we had in London. That will, will make it a different production. If there is not an official one uh, released, I can guarantee you there are dozens of them online that have been tracked and been released mm-hmm. already if you really want it. It's <laughs> just a matter if you want to make money or not and I feel like someone's going to want to make money. Alright, so I think that's all we have. I, I I, I think we've talked There's enough. More. There's always <laughs> more, but um, here's what I want to end this um, this conversation on. My prediction um, that is going to be coming out in a later episode has to do with Sondheim Productions. I want to ask both of you if you could have the next great Sondheim production, not including whatever his new stuff is with David Ives, if that ever comes up, but of, of a revival mm. of a of a show on Broadway, off Broadway. Tell me what show it would be and who you want to star in it. Let me think about it. Yeah, we can. I can play the Jeopardy music right here. Can I kind of answer this? Yeah. My answer is kind of shitty. Okay. okay. So my answer is I would actually, well, two things. One, I would really love another production of a little night music. I know we had one 10 years ago, but I would like it again. Number one. Um, But I'm not going to dream cast that because, Ooh, actually, mm, you know what? I like Patina Miller. Anyways. um, Number two, um, (laughs) into the woods. We are seeing next year at Encores, and I am very excited about that production. So that's kind of a cop out, but that cast, Matt and I, we've been talking about it. Like, it's actually like uh, not a lot of notes. I'm really pumped about it. Yeah, and we still have a lot more casting to come with all of the, uh, you know, the secondary characters, which I'm very excited about. So, um, Ashley, have you had enough time to think through Road this? Roadshow, obviously. No, I... Uh, Give the, me the bounce. Problem- Give me wise bounce. guys. The bounce, wise guys, all of it simultaneously. All drafts in repertory. Um the the thing the first thing that comes to my mind is passion, but I don't know that I would want it as a Broadway production. Yeah, I would that's fine. It could be a large. I would want it as a larger off Broadway production, and my only stipulation for that is that I want a woman of color starring in it because I think it makes more sense. Uh, yeah, I mean, it certainly adds another level to yep. uh, uh, her kind of like. I mean, in the show, it's ugliness, but like the the distance from the rest of the community um, uh, certainly would would be very interesting. I Wait, think have one more. Oh, can yeah, I have one ahead. more answer? Yes, please. please do as many as you want. Okay, Leah Salonga in a little night music. Adrian Morton singing Miller's son. Come on. Oh, uh, you also know good. I love the Miller's son. 
Actually, all. no men involved. All all female non-binary. I like it. I like it. <laughs> Little yeah. music. Anything. <laughs> That's totally fine as well. Totally fine as well. Uh, um, for me, I guess I would go... I've never seen a passion uh, production, so I would love to see that one um, that you mentioned, uh, Ashley. But I'm going to probably go with I want to see a legit full scale um, major. It would have to be off Broadway, but I want to see a production of Saturday Night. Um, I think yeah. it's one of those shows that doesn't get it's his first show. Um, it doesn't really ever get done. Um, I want to see a really good production of that just to be able to have seen it. Fair enough. I that's me with anyone can whistle, honestly. Yeah, and I'm so mad. I'm not going to make it up for the concert that Vanessa Williams is yeah. is doing because I'm coming up like a week and a half later. Um, it doesn't make schedule. sense for me to stay that whole time, but um, uh, I would love to. But I better I'm afraid scheduling that. around well, Sondheim I mean, Productions only. Yeah, well, uh, I'm coming up then like two weeks later for the I think it's the Life at uh, City Center. So unless somebody mm-hmm. wants to pay for a hotel or put me up for like two weeks, that's uh, probably not going to happen. Mm. But if I'm if I'm right about Vanessa Williams from my tweet though, I should get a trophy because True. I mm-hmm. I'm predicting that she takes over for Patty Lapone and company just because of all this Sondheim and. and she did Into the Woods. She and and she did Sondheim by Sondheim. She did Sondheim on Sondheim as well on Broadway. She's a Sondheim woman. And so I think that that's going to be a thing. Here's, here's my concern. I just worry that it might not make it to get replacements. Um, <sighs> uh, but I no. Well, they've already scheduled someone to replace Patty. Yes. And it's a per, it, it's it's a person. Yes. My mm. thing is that I, the way we're going right now is that those plans can certainly change with COVID is my concern. Yeah, but unfortunately. Isn't it warm? Isn't it rosy? Side by side. She's such a sweetheart. By side. Isn't she a sweetheart? Ports in a storm. Comfy and cozy. Side by side. She never loses her cool. By side. I envy that. All right, that is all that we have. I mean, an hour and 23 minutes of it. Uh, talking Sondheim about Sondheim, Palooza. Uh, um, let us know what your thoughts are on West Side Story, Assassins, and Company over at Broadway Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can reach out to me at broad, nope, at BWW Matt. <laughs> Ashley, do you want to just change your name to Sondheim Palooza? Oh, I would love that. I might have to. But in the meanwhile, mm-hmm. you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at No, This Is Ashley. Grace, where can people find you? In the meanwhile, I thought that's what you're doing. There you, go. Um, <laughs> you can find me at It's Grace Aki. Thank you for listening to all of this ridiculous conversation, everybody. We really appreciate it. We hope you're having a wonderful holiday week, and we'll be back with some sort of content for you tomorrow. And keep ignoring Thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Broadway Radio. And don't forget about our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash Broadway Radio. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok at It's Grace Aki. Ashley, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at No, This Is Ashley. Thank you guys for uh, enjoying or not enjoying some of those comments. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we can't wait to bring you even more content. We'll see you tomorrow. Sharing a comes to my mind when I see her? The Chrysler building. Isn't that weird? Always in fun, no strain. Sometimes I catch her looking and looking. 
I just look right back. Burn it.